Welcome to TV Community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the very cultivated Robert Demena. Thank you, Elliot, and welcome to TV Community. So, before we get into our podcast, I'm going to give the the partner spiel. Uh, check out Minivan of Memories, a very fond partner of ours. It's a blogging platform for people who travel but don't have the platform to share their travel stories. Go on, write a story, share it with the world. Very cool. Little Passports is a monthly subscription for curious kids who love the world. Uh, starting at age three, you can buy, you can subscribe to their services and they will mail you very neat little packages, uh, educational package, packages on travel and geography for your little one. Travel by Locals, it's exactly like Airbnb for travel guides. You go onto the website and they will provide you and help link you up with a uh, local who can take you on a tour of your destination. And lastly, please uh, check out our Patreon page. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider donating $1 per month. It's on Patreon. So for the cost of less than like a bottle of water, you can per month, you can help aid in our time and production of this podcast. What do we have going on today, Elliot? Well, our guest today, speaking of minivan of memories, had recently shared an article in Nicaragua. And she talks about her six months there, what brought her there, what living in San Juan del Sur is like. And she provided a lot of great insight and painted a really interesting picture of what life can be in this Central American country. So please welcome Annalisa Morrow. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Annalisa, thank you for joining us on the Traveler's Blueprint. Thank you for having me. So once again, we met you through Minivan of Memories, and you kind of shared your experience in, we well, kind of, you did share your experience spending time in Nicaragua for six months. But before that, you didn't just spend time in Nicaragua. You've spent a few months in Venezuela, another two in Peru. You spent a year working on a farm in Maui, and then another few months in Africa. And as of Right now, where we're talking, you're settled in Denver for the time being, correct? Correct. All right. So <laughs> there is so much that we could talk about, but for this episode, we really want to focus on Nicaragua and your time in San Juan, San Juan del Sur and what brought you there. Okay. Yeah. When you put everything like this, it seems a little crazy. Um, I was actually, I went to Nicaragua because my dad was living there at the time. Um, I had just spent a couple of months in Africa, and when I got back to the States, I felt very disconnected and didn't have a stable job, didn't have a community or anything, and was kind of feeling a little um, in, in water just by myself. So my dad said, why don't you come down here for a few months, recoup, and we'll see from there. So I did. And then three months later, he ended up moving out, and it was just me and Nicaragua. But <laughs> I, I, I loved it. Um, so yeah, it was, um, San Juan del Sur was kind of like an oasis for me at the time where I, I needed to put my feet back on the ground. All right. Was Nicaragua ever on your travel list or was it no. just a place? It was uh, the new place my dad was living in. He travels a lot as well. That's part of where I get my um, wanderlust feel. Yeah. <laughs> And what does your dad do? Uh, he's a he was a hotel manager. Now he's a business consultant in the states. But 
he um, mostly managed hotels in Central South America. Okay. So that's, yeah, he worked in Nicaragua, Panama, several other places. So in your, in your memory, you talked about traveling a lot as a kid or living in a few places as a kid, um, wherever he was managing one of those hotels. So did you have like a consistent home growing up? Not at all. <laughs> I was born in California. And then when I was about six months, we moved to Mexico. Both my parents grew up in Mexico. And um, from there, it was from Mazatlan to Puerto Vallarta to Los Cabos to La Paz, back to Mazatlan to Puerto Vallarta, a year in California, then back. So yeah, it was pretty inconsistent until we made it to Puerto Vallarta when I was 12. And that's where we all kind of settled and stayed. Okay. But before that, it was my parents would sit us down in the living room every once in a while and say, we're going on a new adventure. And that's what it was every time. Every time. Wow. <laughs> and so to come back to what you were saying in the beginning about the disconnect you felt when you came back from Africa, I forget, there's like a term for that, but it's something that I've felt at points too, where you kind of don't feel as though you can associate with like your home country. Mm-hmm. I forget it's like reverse culture shock or something like that when you come back home and you're kind of you feel weird being home um and it's hard to relate to people who don't didn't share those experiences with you and is you just feel out of place I felt it too like especially when I go on like a long trip and I come home and you try to talk to someone about what you did they just don't get it and mm-hmm. yeah it's a weird it's an odd feeling it's hard to describe yeah that's exactly what it was and I was in Africa for two months and it was a solo trip. Um, I went there, I was helping out a friend who started an organization over there. So I did a lot of writing and um, made sure the projects were running well. So, and it was mostly in small villages. So where I, I mean, I spent a whole month without looking in the mirror. So oh, wow. um, going from that red roads, green hills all around me, um, no social media whatsoever, hardly any internet, to coming back to the U.S. to Denver was very culture shock, reverse culture shocky. Yeah, yeah. And and so now, you know, we're, we're here to discuss Nicaragua, and I'm really curious about this country because I, I don't know much about it. So I'm kind of going into this conversation as like with a blank slate. It's located in, in Central America. It has Costa Rica bordering it to the south and the Honduras bordering it to the north but it doesn't seem to be an extremely popular travel destination for most Americans. Um, and so I don't think a lot of people understand. You, do you disagree, Elliot? No, I just don't think a lot of Americans would even necessarily be able to point to it on a map, even if they knew it was in Central America. Probably not. Yeah, no. I mean, the only country that I feel is visited on a regular basis in Central America is Costa Rica. And maybe Mexico. Follow, followed by Belize. Is Mexico? Mexico is part of North America. Well, so is Costa Rica. Yeah, that's the strange debate of America. Do we consider Central America and where is Central America? Oh, really? Oh, see, I, I considered Central America to be Guatemala, Belize, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Panama. Mexico yeah. is the end of the line for North America, and then Colombia is the beginning of South America. South America, that's, yeah. Yeah, but Elliot seems to disagree. Oh, so what continent is it on? It's technically on the North American continent, right, I guess. There we yeah, go. but as a region, it's <laughs> but it's it's more described as a region, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Let's not get too into the technicalities here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Elisa, in your own words, I guess, like, what would be a good introduction to 
Nicaragua, Nicaragua. And like, uh, you know, what is it? How is it? Well, yeah, it is one of those places that feels very undiscovered in a sense. Um, that was definitely not on my radar when I ended up moving there. And when my dad moved there, okay, what are you doing in Nicaragua? So, and I didn't even do any research, which I don't recommend <laughs> going in. Um, I flew into Costa Rica and then I, um, we drove into Nicaragua. And so it's coming from that into the road and just the feeling you get once you're there, it's, oh, I'm in a different place. <laughs> um, it was very beautiful, very aesthetically pleasing, um, and very, it felt like a hidden treasure. Um, I know that Nicaragua is, is, I think, I believe the second poorest country in the Americas. Um, it is also a country that is striving to be progressive. Um, so it's, it's rapidly advancing in education and um, they're a community that really wants to grow and you can feel it. And there's a lot of projects, a lot of um, education projects going on. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a very different place. It's hard to describe. I just recommend you visit. Um, yeah. No, when you were there, did you encounter a lot of Westerners or? or? Yeah, well, San Juan del Sur specifically um, is kind of like a hot spot for travelers. So you'll find a lot of people from around the world that are into yoga, into surfing, um, a big expat, expat community of people from Europe, people from the U.S. that permanently live there now. Um, I mean, you walk in and this was one of the things that captivated me the most was you're walking down the road and there, there's a French bakery um, with a guy from France who will make you chocolate croissant to order. And um, you'll walk a little more and there's a Vietnamese coffee shop slash surf shop. And then there's a Mexican donut slash coffee shop. So it's, uh, and then there's a, a falafel place and one of the best Thai food restaurants I've ever been to. And this is a very small place. You go from one side of the town to the other in 30 minutes. Walk. That's interesting. And so when you say travelers, it seems to be that there's this, like a location for more experienced travelers to settle down and maybe relocate. But do, or do you also think, is it like a high touristy area? It is. It's both. That was okay. one of the things I found uh, most wondrous in a sense, is you have your community of expats that don't want to live in Europe or the States or any place like that. And they're just, I want to live freely in a beautiful place and this is my new home a lot of them become teachers and so, or writers and then you also have a group of tourism who will stay in high-end resorts visit the beautiful beaches and that's it and then you have your people who are surfers and yogis and they stay at Casa Oro which is in the, a hostel in the middle of town and they take tours to the different beaches around Nicaragua and then you have um, a lot of people doing nonprofit work. So you have four or five different nonprofits going on at the same time. And then you have people that live there. So you have this very small, very diverse community of people in their own, with their own agendas and their own lifestyles and their own ways going on in a very small town. So that has to be good for the population to for have this like Western money come in and, and then have these people starting businesses Mm -hmm. uh, um, in the country, what's the infrastructure like in, in these cities, in like San Juan del Sur specifically? Is it, do they have like a good plumbing system and, and potable water supply? I'm really, yeah, I really just don't have any idea what it's like there. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, 
there is there's good plumbing there's um it's it feels very modern stepping in okay. of course you have your outside village a uh, more small town feel mm-hmm. um that is not so much but yeah there's running water toilets okay yeah kitchens it's pretty modern <laughs> okay so so the san juan del sur is pretty modern but then as you get out into the country it's probably still undeveloped the in-betweens like you'll okay. go to granada you'll go to managua which is one of the, the bigger cities mm-hmm. very modern yeah. you might as well be in a nice city in the u.s it's okay very beautiful big theaters big um malls everything in managua okay so Uh, so i was just trying to gauge it so i mean you know just to the north is honduras which is mm -hmm. still you know a very poor nation underdeveloped a lot of issues uh, on a lot of different fronts but it seems like nicaragua nicaragua is completely different uh in a lot of ways it seems i guess it's the country that's between honduras and costa rica too you know, you have, I think, influences from both coming in. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of feel that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a very comfortable place to live in. Um, but like anywhere, you will find both worlds, especially anywhere in Latin America. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm curious as to why San Juan del Sur has so many expats and such a wide variety of different cultures, cuisines, like what, what brought them specifically to San Juan del Sur? I think, well, it started as a fishing village and then somebody decided to put in a hotel and that brought in popularity. And, and then came surfers from all over the world who found this new, beautiful place to be in. And it's also kind of a secret in a sense. So, uh, oh, not maybe not anymore. <laughs> well, it's um a place that if you talk to a big traveler or surfer, they're like, oh yeah, I know where San Juan is. Okay. I've been backpacking there. I've been surfing there before. Um, it's a place people that are in the surfing community and yoga community love to spend time in because even though there's no good waves in San Juan del Sur, it's a good place to stay and visit all the beaches that do. Okay. Um, it is really mind. cool. It reminds me of Chiang Mai in Thailand. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Chiang Mai, but that's sort of the city that is, is is a gathering grounds for digital nomads and people who are kind of just on the road wandering Asia. If, if you want to meet Westerners that are on a similar path that are backpacking, you go to Chiang Mai and you kind of, you can meet people from around the world who have similar interests. I don't know. That's just sort of yeah. my perception yeah. of it based yeah. on this conversation, like a that's melting pot. Crazy like it's that's what it is okay but yeah um yeah where people can find beauty and common ground and live together right yeah a nice medium of um modern you know technologies and modern infrastructure uh good internet like you know and you can get free wi-fi in the park there right (laughs) and then still distance yourself enough from the uh, craziness of Western culture and you know things like that. So it seems like a it seems like a nice little medium, especially um, to stay there for a long period of time, like you did, like six months. It sort of seems like a good hub to. Yeah. So when when you were there, did you work? How did you provide for yourself and I pay did. for I, rent? Uh, well, uh, the first three months that I was there, I lived with my dad. He was uh, managing Pelicanized Resort, which is a set of villas on the hills. Um, so I stayed with him and then, and I worked for him. He was starting a couple of nonprofit projects, 
um, with an old folks home in Rivas. And uh, that was kind of my job the first three months I was there. I was hosting these events for the hotel's workers to go to the old folks home and we'd um, have little parties and bring food and hang out with the old folks. And it was a, a great community service type thing for the hotel. And we also fundraised some money from the people staying at the hotel so that we can help the old folks home. Um, and then I also got a job at Escuela Adelante teaching English. It was an English language school, uh, mainly for junior high age kids, but I also taught some classes with adults and some little kids as well. So yeah, that's what I ended up doing most of my time there, uh, was teaching English. Hmm. So what, is, what did a normal day look like for you then? Mm-hmm. Like not after you had uh, moved out of the hotel, your dad had left and you were teaching English. Yeah, so um, I did end up like right in the middle at a point where I had nowhere to stay, no real job, or I mean, I was teaching at the school, but I, I felt like my feet kind of wobbled under me again. And um, I came to the director and she uh, provided a place for me. It was a BNB that some of the teachers stay at. And that was in the hills, maybe 30 minutes or 20 minutes away from San Juan del Sur. So I would stay there and it's literally like no man's land area feel where you're just in this beautiful BNB house in the middle of the jungle with an amazing view of the ocean. So uh, a typical day would be I'd wake up and make breakfast, drink coffee, read a little, go down, take the bus into San Juan del Sur, um, teach for about six hours a day, every day, including Saturdays. And then I'd go down to the beach, uh, visit the local shops, hang out with friends, and um, then make my way back to the mountains uh, to dinner. It seems really nice and very just easy and like just a very smooth Mm -hmm. (laughs) time. Um, Now you're back in Denver. So are you getting the urge to to travel again and go back down to a place that has, you can have a similar lifestyle? I always have that urge. (laughs) Um, I also really like the idea of staying in one place for more than a year. Um, While I was down there, I I had my existential crisis moment of what do I want to do with my life? And I was teaching and I was also working with um, ex- Montessori background teachers at that specific school, which is the system I grew up in. And so when I came back, that's what I, my goal was, is getting into the Montessori field. And I'm working at Montessori school now. So, um, yeah, it was, it's, I'm sorry, what was, can you repeat your question? Um, I just, I was just wondering, you know, now that you're back in Denver, if you oh, are getting the urge, yeah, to just hit the road again and go yeah. to, because it's so, it's, they're so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so being there, having this moment of, okay, what do I actually want to do with my life? Do I want to continue recklessly traveling, being one place for a few months, then another few months, and then not knowing where my next paycheck is going to come from, basically? Or what is something else that is very meaningful that still allows me to travel? So I got into the, what is meaningful to me, and that's early childhood education. And so I'm giving it a try, staying in one place, focusing on that. and my sisters live in Mexico. I try to visit once a year. Um, with teaching does come a lot of vacation time. So I still am able to fill that, whether that's going to California and spending some time in San Francisco or um, going to the mountains for a little while. Um, 
I'm making it almost two years back in the U.S., which is a goal for me and I think my whole life. And oh, wow. I still love Denver. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in the back of my head, it's like, okay, I could do my Montessori training in Thailand and be there for a year. And then I'm thinking, okay, there, there is a school in Denver that I could do my training in instead. <laughs> so I have like two sides of me going, do I want to go to Thailand? Do I want to stay here? Right. So I'm, I'm unfamiliar. What are Montessori schools? Oh, um, it's a system uh, that's opposed to traditional that was started by Maria Montessori over 100 years ago in Italy. And she was a child psychologist, one of the first women to get a PhD in her times in Italy. And she focused her whole life on studying children um, and developed the system where um, children get to work on their own. So as opposed to having a teacher in front, children taking a lesson, there are shelves with different materials and different subjects. You have your math, your geography, your um, art. Throughout the day, the child goes to a shelf, picks out a material, works on it at a little table or the rug, and then every few minutes they keep moving forward. And the teacher's job is to make sure that they're touching all the subjects. And they also incorporate um, practical life. So learning how, they do their own dishes after they eat, they learn how to wash their own clothes, they learn how to clean up after themselves. And there's also working on um, finger muscles. <laughs> I'm spacing. So you'll have like tweezers and you move beads from one thing to another. Butter skills. Or water and things like that. So very intentional teaching at yeah, a very like truly life skills. I find that really interesting. I so I not to turn this conversation into education, but um, <laughs> one of my biggest issues with uh, traditional education is that like we're getting a room full of fifty kids, and then you teach mm -hmm. them all the same exact thing and expect them to perform to the same exact level. And I don't not that that's wrong or anything, but I just find it to it, it it can be difficult for one kid to can you know compete at the same pace uh, on a topic that they may not be interested in and then you know assigning them a number i don't know i'm not i don't really have any expertise in this topic but that's just something that i've always found a little odd with our our education system yeah that was her idea too is everybody learns in a different way so everybody gets to advance the most that they can or want in a certain subject and still focus on what they're not so good at as well so it's it's very much on their terms and bringing it back to geography i guess or travel um she really focused on kids learning different cultures or uh, inspiring that in a very early age so you have your geography section where you have world maps and three four-year-olds are putting together world maps divided by the countries as puzzles and then cutting them up and then um, there's whole lessons on let's study Antarctica for a while, let's study Africa for a while, and really focusing on having children three, six years old learn different cultures from around the world, which I do believe is something that inspired me as a very young kid. It's like, oh, there's things out there that are not like my lifestyle. I do want to explore that in a time where most kids who wouldn't get that would be like, okay, this is life. This is where I will continue. Right. Hmm. Um, I think it was it was kind of telling as a kid because I always loved geography and maybe that's why I like to travel now so yeah yeah it's like in that well yeah I, I've always had an interest in like the natural environment that that evolved into travel yeah but it was never actually geography it was more animals really All right. yeah <laughs> inspired yeah. it yeah
I want to go see those. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I always learned by like if there were world events, political over the course of time, like in history class, I always tried to associate it with a map because it would help me learn it and me mm -hmm. I don't know what came first chicken or the egg if I just <laughs> wanted that wanted to learn geography or if I just liked it um and speaking of that so the only thing that I knew about Nicaragua before coming on and doing the show with you today was the Nicaraguan canal that was proposed in the early 1900s and that was I think proposed when there were issues with Panama and Manuel mm -hmm. Noriega or is that two different times? No, um, I don't. Noriega might be later, but I know there is a proposal to go through the southern part of Nicaragua and actually very close to San Juan del Sur. Mm -hmm. The canal was originally going to be in Nicaragua. Yeah, it was. Um, I don't want to give misinformation. <laughs> I would have to do more research. Um, but yeah, there were some things going on. Um, Actually, I have a book with me that I wanted to recommend. If anybody wanted to go to Nicaragua, here's my little. Um, it's Blood of Brothers, Life and War in Nicaragua by Stephen Kinzer. He wrote for the Boston Globe and then the New York Times, I think, believe around the 70s. And um, he talks about that along with a lot of things that were going on at the times in Nicaragua. Why Nicaragua is the way that it is with its government, socialism, um, life basically how community was affected um so it's it's nicaragua has a fascinating political history um so before going i would recommend and uh doing research and reading books like blood of brothers um but yeah it's also a country where the u.s was very involved with in a lot of their wars and things and not a lot of people hear about it at all so, the u.s was involved in their wars <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, well, I, yeah, it's, um, I don't want to give misinformation and things like that. But um, yeah, if you start digging into it's very fascinating uh, how we were involved, how they got to where they are now, and the political structure. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I wonder, not to go on a tangent, but it just seems like we've talked about multiple countries and you could always bring it back to U.S. involvement in some point in their history. Oh, yeah, absolutely. American politics, foreign yeah. politics is, is fascinating. It, it is very fascinating. It's like we, we have a finger in every single country. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that's another thing. Like there's a weird gray area where it's like, I don't know, we've, we have this complex where we want to be the most powerful all the time. And mm -hmm. I always like go back and forth and it's like, no, like let's just mind our own business. Like we can do it. But then I always I, I come back to this thought where it's like, well, if we're not making sure we are continuously the most powerful, what if another country becomes the most powerful and then, you know, they have a conflict with us? And I don't know. I, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Well, I think it's important not necessarily to be the most powerful, but at least have a dialogue and have like a world community. Like we're, we're in a connected age. The world has gotten significantly smaller in the last hundred years. Like we can travel anywhere. That's why we have a travel podcast right now is because people can travel to any part of the world fairly easily and being able to communicate and have discussions and make decisions as a globe, not as individual countries is important to our, I don't know, our survival as a species because we're just going to destroy ourselves the more and more we grow. 
Yeah. Oh, one of my one of my new favorite lines to say to somebody who's being rude or talking bad about people from other countries is like, you shouldn't talk about your own species like that, man. Like that's really. <laughs> Uh, We're all brothers in this. Yeah. yeah. So here's a here's a question to philosophize on. Do you ever think we'll get to a point as a planet to where we actually do consider ourselves like just one species, like we're all one community? Essentially, we're Earth. Like we're an Earth population, and we're not we're no longer divided by these borders. Will it ever get to that point? I think there's always hope. I and like you said, the more travel is so accessible now, and I think subliminally when you count politics out we are somewhat there i don't think i've ever been to a country without a quote-unquote expat community um and there's so many cultures and people coming from different countries to live here it's just i think part of it is that is happening and uh, all uh, when you look into government and politics is not necessarily something that people will want so i think you can be driven a lot in there so you have people who are all about traveling and all about community and people living everywhere from all the countries. And then you have people who are, no, that's dangerous. These people are going to take our jobs. And that goes in every country here in the right. U.S. and others. Yeah. Well, uh, so I think one of the major things is if you talk to anybody who's traveled, who's been to another country and who's met people from another country, they'll always come back and say, like, you know, they're just like us. They just want <laughs> Uh, family you know it's the same story that we've all heard because we're all travelers yeah and we're all humans and but but we all have the same desires right but you need to get that that step out the door into another country to realize that so if we were so travel could be the the branch for this earth this one population where you know if let's say 100 years from now 50 years from now it's a it's mandatory for every school in the united states to uh have a field trip where they bring kids to another country and you put this, you instill this idea of travel is at a very young age. Eventually you would breed a population of more understanding people, right? Like, Oh, it it is, it is like feasible in a, in a philosophical sense, at least Uh, logistically and economically. I don't know if it would work, but, um, (laughs) well, yeah, well, it made it work. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, to, to, I'll, I'll try to, add to the conversation about um, being the world and everyone on it considering themselves as one unit. Uh, And I'll bring physics into it because there's this concept of entropy that everything starts out in like two separate piles. Like the classic example is a cup of black coffee and you pour milk into it. When you first pour the milk into it, it's just half and half. And then over time, the, the milk and the coffee blend and then it becomes more chaotic and then it returns to just a homogenous structure, right? Mm-hmm. So over time, I think the more we mix, the more we travel, the more people migrate, emigrate, immigrate to different locations across the world, we're going to start to mix and blend and just create not necessarily a homogenous culture, global culture, but people will start to understand different aspects of everyone else all over the world. Yeah, and I think I, that so- to me is ideal. And for anybody who travels and has been to more than one country, it's like, yeah, that's where we should go. But I do think there's still so much fear of that happening at the same time. For people who um, live in one place their whole lives, this is their world, this is their safety. Anybody who's trying to interrupt that is dangerous mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they don't know necessarily. They're comfortable. Therefore, the idea that you're explaining would be terrifying. Um, yeah. I mean, and I think that's something that is 
happening. Yeah. For uh, a yeah. lot of people, it's fear of the unknown. And that's, that's usually the underlying reasoning. And to I me, saw- that's why travel is so important is you're able to get outside of your own bubble. You gain a new perspective. You see the world as it is as a whole, as a big community, as opposed to the one place you live in. And it makes a difference in your life. Mm-hmm. I saw something else funny on the internet that said something along the lines of, we just need to keep breeding with one another until we're all one color. <laughs> um, yeah, but, that's but, entropy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but go, going back uh, a little bit, like, so, so what you guys are saying with like, you know, fear being instilled in people who don't travel. What is it? A, a large population of, of the United States, they don't travel. We have like no interest in travel compared to other Western countries. And I don't understand well, I mean, yeah, it's going to come back to fear again, but the world is so big and it's so interesting and it's so diverse. And I can never understand the logic or the mentality uh, of someone when I talk to them and they have no interest of going anywhere at all. Or if they do travel, you know, they want to stay on a cruise ship and they really don't want to immerse themselves in a culture. And maybe not only it's fear, it's, it's not only a fear of having their own culture changed, but also... Um, that fear of introducing themselves to a foreign person who's different from themselves. I, I really don't understand it. And I just wish that um, there was just more education on travel and how great other people are. I, yeah, I agree. It's a hard thing to understand once you have been out. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know many people that have been out and have reverted back to that mentality. <laughs> Right. I mean, I've talked to people who have traveled and they'll say, you know, I didn't really enjoy that country, but the people were nice and they'll continue to travel. You know, you'll have isolated incidents where people go and have bad experiences in a country, but they'll still come back with an understanding of the world and, and, Something uh, they didn't have before. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I don't know. We need to, the United States specifically needs to change this idea around travel as it being unimportant. Um, because I, I think it's Dangerous. a core of our, a lot of our cultural differences and issues. And I really, I think if, I think that we're turning a blind eye to, or it's easy to isolate ourselves and turn a blind eye to the rest of the world when we don't even uh, give ourselves the opportunity to understand the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know probably pissing a lot of people off by having this conversation right now. <laughs> well, we, I don't think as a, as communities and individuals in the United States pay enough attention to the uh, disparity that we have within our own cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We're an interesting just, bunch, huh? It's just, I think it's, it's tough to pinpoint the reasons why. You're you're going you're digging into the human psyche. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in I'm in a, I'm in one of those moods. Yeah, I'm just yeah, all right. I mean, it's a fascinating well, topic. It is. It's very it's very fascinating because you go to a country like Australia where they they love to travel, and I think part of that is because they're stuck on an island. I really do. I think they just get bored. Like they reach a certain point, and it's like I need to go see something else other than New Zealand, which is essentially Australia but smaller. <laughs> like they, and so they they just they just go and if you talk to australians a lot of them really enjoy travel and they understand the world and they're going to uh, college university whatever they call it in other countries like the united states that's almost unheard of for people to go away to school in another country yeah well part of the reason is that a lot of our universities are better than most other universities (laughs) that's true that's true um yeah not to say that you know western european doesn't have phenomenal universities but 
the U.S. has exceptional universities. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just also funny in a sense. There are a lot of colleges and universities that have programs for studying abroad. My sister, I know, took advantage of that. And that's how she ended up doing six months in Spain and six months in Chile, ended up ended up staying there for a while. And I think the people that do take advantage of those opportunities are the ones that continue to travel. Um, so there is a small window that not everybody takes, but I do think is becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, well, I would love to stay on this topic, but I also would like to come back to Nicaragua. <laughs> that was a really fun tangent. Let's get it. Was, back. It was fun. <laughs> so more specifics about San Juan del Sur and your time there. Um, currency. What is the actual currency in Nicaragua? Is it a peso? No, uh, Cordobas or cords for slang. Okay, cords. Cords. And uh, what is a cord or what is one US dollar in that's cords? About, and I checked to see if it was still the same. It hasn't changed. It's about 30 cents to a cord. Okay. Um, it's not too bad. It's easy math-ish. Yeah, a third. Uh, yeah. Three times. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And is like rent, food, are things relatively cheaper or are they about the same when you do the conversion? That always depends. I think money and time and lifestyle situations are always such a funny thing when you travel. Um, It's always so different and so similar at the same time. I almost feel it's like, just choose your own adventure, choose how much you (laughs) want to spend and that's how much you're going to do. Um, You can stay at a hostel for $10, $15 a night and it'll be more local feel and you can, Go to a grocery store or to the, uh, they have a permanent market. It's like a road that's closed off and it's just fruits and vegetables and it's dragon fruits everywhere, which is amazing. Mm. Um, and that's fairly cheap. You can get a dragon fruit for a Cordoba, um, which is ridiculously different from here. And it's very sad. Um, it is sad. <laughs> Um, you can also stay at one of the higher end resorts and that's $200 a night and then go to the beach restaurants and pay 20, 30 bucks for your meal. So it's, it all just depends on what you're feeling, what you want to do. And there's everything in between. Okay. Um, so as a local, um, what did you like to do for activities and for fun when you weren't teaching? I loved spending time at the beach. Um, I also ended up through a friend. Uh, teaching surf to kids. There is a local organization that's amazing that they'll bring kids or it's free. So kids can just come and they'll have surfboards and we'll just go back and forth with a kid learning how to surf. And it's a great alternative to just being on the street or just hanging out. You're actually in the water learning a new sport. So I love doing that. Um, I loved hiking. There's some really amazing hikes. Um, there's a big white Jesus statue. Oh, like uh, Christ the Redeemer statue? Yeah. It's a, his arms are, are in a different position than the okay. norm. But you go up there, it's maybe a 45 to an hour hike all the way up. Just kind of a hard hike. Um, beautiful. Sounds like Cusco. <laughs> Not as bad <laughs> as Cusco. Um, it's there pretty And under it is an, uh, like a little museum almost right under the Jesus where you have pictures of all the Jesus statues from around the world and all the information uh, and all of them. So it's kind cool. of cool. You can overlook 
the whole city of San Juan. It was very beautiful. Very Wait, cool. have you, you done the one in Cusco? No, like, no, no. Yeah. I've always wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Peru a few times and I still haven't made it. Yeah. Uh, my sister has, though. Um, cool. But it was amazing. Have you, what is the lake to the east? Um, I have it right here. Actually, it's uh, Lago Cosibolca. And is, yeah, it's Cosibolca. pretty big. I mean, it's hard to tell from a map, it's but that's huge. massive. Is it, is it fresh yeah, water? When you're in a boat and it, you feel like it's the ocean. Okay. It's, it's uh, cool water. It's not salty. Okay. The There's two volcanoes thing. in the middle of it. Yeah, I was just going to mention the attraction <laughs> there is Umetepe, which is twin volcanoes. And it's, there's a whole, it's really, really big. There's a little town there. Like you can stay at a hostel. There's, there's quite a few hostels actually. Okay. Um, there's Are they active still? Hmm? Are the volcanoes active? They're dormant, I believe. Or actually, I think one of them is, might be active. Okay. So are they kind of like, isn't Lake Tahoe or Crater Lake in, on the West Coast? Crater Lake is in Oregon, and that is the result of <clears throat> a dormant volcano collapsing in on itself. Okay, thank you so for that. So that's what happens. They, they, I think they erupt enough, and then they hollow out or something, and they collapse in on themselves and create a crater. And then rainwater just fills it? I guess. I guess. I don't really know. I could be completely wrong, so sorry. All right. <laughs> if I am. We're not experts. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't claim to be an expert, I'm, I, but I believe that's actually, I believe that's it. All right. That's cool. So have you, have you been to the lake? Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Nice. I would love to go. Wasn't I want to go to San Juan now. San, San Juan del Sur. Yes. I think just like in April, there was a pretty significant uh, volcanic eruption. Oh, it was in Guatemala. It was Guatemala Fuego. Um, mm -hmm. The videos, like not just an oozing eruption, it was an explosive lava spewing eruption. And it happened in June, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, that is something to be aware of. Nicaragua is the land of the many, many, many volcanoes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess they're considered part of the Pacific Rim, right? Yeah. The Ring yeah, of Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, if for people that are interested in going that have, and for people that you have piqued their interest in Nicaragua, maybe not necessarily San Juan del Sur, but Managua and other parts of Nicaragua, um, do you have a specific recommendation on when they should go, time of year, and what to keep an eye out for when they're there? Probably in the cooler months, December, January. Um, I It's always sunny and always rainy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. From my experience, I was there from May to October, and it rained quite often. It's, but the rain there is is pours down, and it's beautiful, and you kind of just enjoy it. Um, but I... See, I grew up in tropical um, places, so to me, any time is perfect. Um, That's fair. Yeah, and it's it doesn't we don't have or they don't have the seasons the way we do in the states. It's not very cold and then kind of cold and then very hot and then it gets a little cooler and then it's cold. It's just always kind of staying around the eighties. Okay. Yeah. Uh, does it have a rainy season? It does. Um, I believe it's more winter time is rainy season, but I'll look it up really quick before I get out misinformation again. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad you opened my eyes, or you opened my eyes to like a new location. poetry, mine eyes. <laughs> You've opened my eyes to like this new location. It seems like a very easy place to relax. It's outside of the 
typical uh, Mexican resort locations. Like you can still have a relaxing tropical beachfront vacation and be in a country that's off the beaten path somewhat. So I, I'm, I'm, I really like it. It's, it's unique. And so, yeah. and the fact that it has expats and other, I'd say non-native people, I'm putting air quotes around that, you can blend in a little easier. You're not going to stick out like a sore thumb. Right. It doesn't seem like you're going to be overwhelmed in like a very touristy area, which a lot of Americans uh, end up visiting when they go to these South American or, I mean, or Central American or, or Mexican vacation spots. It seems like you're kind of on your own. You get the feel of this, of this tropical environment and you're still kind of, you know, you get to immerse yourself in the local culture while still keeping on some of the luxuries that you you want with Western culture as well. Yeah, that was something I found very unique about San Juan was that you have all of the, you have your tourists, your expats, your quote unquote locals, and everything is happening in the same place. So you have those different different experiences going on, but they're all around you, which I really liked because then you can choose who you want to be in yeah. this place. You can choose to be there for a while and ex or the culture and immerse yourself in what is Nicaragua. You can also be the tourist and stay in your villa at Pelican Eyes and um, <laughs> just stay at the pool and go on tours. Um, I recommend the first. <laughs> um, but it is a place where you can choose to do that and just be. And like we were talking about earlier, time there just moves so much slower and easier. It's the perfect place to just de-stress and for a while yeah enjoy the beauty that's around you and uh it's a place that i felt very safe in as well the more i knew people also teaching for a while i would have kids and parents recognize me on the streets or at the stores so it's it is very community um feeling yeah i think that's important when you're i i if i had the opportunity i would prefer to stay in a place for longer than a week and actually get to know it Otherwise, you just kind of take the bubble with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Is there anybody that you or anywhere that you want to direct people? Um, I know you do some travel writing. Do you do you have a website or, or social media account that you'd like people to check out? Yeah, um, it's under construction right now. But I have a, a one with Squarespace. It's just Nostalgic Nomad and in social media and Instagram as well under the same name. Nostalgic Nomad. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I do too. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed this. It's fun. That wraps up our conversation. And it was actually really fascinating. I don't really, as I mentioned in the episode, I didn't really know much about Nicaragua. And it kind of makes me very eager to go down and see it for myself before it gets super touristy. Yeah. So what I liked about this conversation and what I learned today is I kind of, I feel like I have a new country in my back pocket um, where it's not on everybody's radar. And if I kind of want to, I want to go off the beaten path and maybe go to a location, maybe a low key vacation spot where I still feel like I'm immersing myself in a new culture, but not to the point where it's logistically infeasible. challenging. Right. So it's like, a, it's like the perfect medium of, new of unique and of somewhat uh like things and yeah so yeah. so yeah it's nice and like i said like i put it in my back pocket and i know it's there and who knows when i'll go there or 
um, yeah, I, 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 who knows when I'll go, but I, yeah. I think I may, I think I may sometime in the future. Yeah. I'll go with you. Okay. Just know you always have a travel partner. You want to go tomorrow? Oh, it's tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I can do tomorrow. Okay. All right, cool. Well, we have not, we're, I, we really have not received a rating in a long time. I think it was February or May since the last rating and we're oh, getting really, man. really sad. Uh, I mean, we can generate our own ratings, but they're not real and they're just <laughs> not cool. No. Yeah. Rate us, please. Rate us on iTunes. Um, always feel free to email us if you know somebody that you think is interesting and would like to hear more about what they do on the podcast send us their information we'll reach out to them if you're planning a trip somewhere and you just want logistical information on that destination let us know and we'll try to reach out to tour companies or people who are experienced um, in that area uh there's travelers blueprint at gmail.com that's it yeah we're uh we're just there's not a big team here and uh we're very responsive so if you want to reach out please do